Welcome to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church. For more information on Sherwood or Pastor Michael Catt, visit our website at SherwoodBaptist.net. And now, here's Pastor Michael Catt. There is nothing in the middle of the road except yellow stripes and dead possums. When I was growing up, I was a middle-of-the-road kind of person. I mean, I didn't want to make any waves. I didn't want to really stand out at anything. I was kind of average at everything I did. But when God saved me, He changed me. He did not necessarily change my personality, but He changed me and who I am to not depend on my personality but to strengthen me and to gift me to do what he's called me to do. And the last thing I will probably ever be accused of in my ministry is that I'm in the middle of the road. I think the staff would agree with that. Would you not? Amen. I got amens out of the staff in the earlier service. I am passionate about everything I do. I'm passionate about everything I'm involved in. I mean, it doesn't matter whether it's little or small, significant or insignificant. I'm consumed with it. I'm passionate about it. I drive my wife crazy. You know, she just wants me to chill out on just a few things, just some things. You know, just just don't be so passionate about everything. But you see, God has given me a passion, and the greatest passion that he's given me is to see the glory of God done in this place without compromise. And I am so committed to that, that whatever mountains there are, I ask God to move them. Whatever obstacles there are, I ask God to conquer them. Whatever it is that stands in the way with me or with anything else, I ask God to get it out of the way because I want His will and His glory done in this place. I think Nehemiah had to have that kind of attitude to go back and rebuild walls and repair broken gates. Let me ask you something. What are you passionate about? What is it that you're committed to? What is it that you say to God, God, I want to be a part of that. I don't want to just live and die and be born and exist and have a retirement and then one day they come and say nice things about me at my funeral. I want to make a difference with my life. How do you want to make a difference? What do you want to do? Do Is there anything that drives you? Is there anything that motivates you? Is there anything that burns within you? Is there any passion that's about you that it makes you get up early, it makes you stay up late, it drives you, it consumes you, it overwhelms you with the sense that God might have something for you? Well, there's a lot that does that for me. And I may die of a heart attack, but I'll never die of just going along. And I don't want to die that way. I want to make a difference with my life. I don't believe God formed me in my mother's womb and knew me before the creation of the world for me to just go through an existence. I think God has an abundant life for each of us. I don't think it's just for preachers. I don't think it's just for other particular people. I don't think it's just for missionaries. I think for all of us, 
no matter how mundane we may see our situation, there is something about which God wants us to be passionate. There is a call of God on our lives. Some of that is vocational. For a person like me, it's vocational. But for many of us here today, that call is a passionate call of God to do something for His name, to do something for His sake, and to do something for His glory. You see, you never lighten the load of another person until you've felt the burden in your heart. And until you have had a burden, you can never really be a blessing. Until you have wept, you'll never really want to work. You'll quit. At some point, you'll back off and say, it's not worth it. But when you and I have gone before God and we've gotten a burden and we've been consumed by that burden and God has driven us to our knees before him, then God begins to do something in our lives that is unexplainable. Pastors need to have that kind of burden. I wonder why any guy would want to be in a ministry that didn't have a burden to build a great church. I don't know why he'd want to do it. If he didn't have a burden for lost people and a burden for his membership to come up to the fullness of what they have in Christ, if he didn't have a burden for the church to be everything that God wanted it to be, why would the guy want to go there and take anybody's money as a salary? I think missionaries ought to go to a foreign field with a burden. I think deacons ought to have a burden. I think Sunday school teachers ought to have a burden for their class, not just a job, not just something to do, not just something to bide time, but a burden that what I do makes a difference. Parents need to have a burden, a burden that what you do and what you invest in the life of your kids, even though sometimes you feel like this is not paying off, it will if you stay with it. You see, you don't have to be an extrovert to be a leader. you just got to be consistent and you got to have convictions. You've got to be willing to stand for what you believe and you've got to be willing to die for what you stand for. And you and I today need to be like Nehemiah and we need a passion. Now, something you need to understand, a need does not constitute a call. Not everybody's called to be a pastor. If you were, there wouldn't be anybody for me to preach to. Not everybody's called to be a missionary. The need of missions does not necessarily constitute for you a call to go overseas. It may for some. All of us should be concerned about it, but not all of us are called to go. And it is uh, a foolish mistake that I think we make in the church that we think everybody's got to do the same thing just like everybody else does. God has gifted us, God has equipped us, and God has called us to be uniquely different as parts of the body so that it all fits together and it works the way God wants it to work. You see, God gives us a burden, and the initiative is His, not ours. And so what I want to really talk to you about this morning is how you can understand the difference between a concern and a burden and a call. And it all goes back to passion. Look back again now at chapter 1 and verse 11. We're going to be in chapter 2 most of the time, but chapter 1 and verse 11, O Lord, <clears throat> I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man. 
Now, we are into catchphrases. Our society is into uh, quick thoughts and 60-second logos and, and catchphrases. You know, we're into go with the flow. Go with what works. Uh, get in on what's working. We're into strike while the iron's hot. But let me tell you what God's into. God's not into catchphrases and sound bites. God, in leadership, is into character. Now, I wasn't trying to be prophetic last week before our latest scandal in the uh, White House hit, but I said to you last week that character is an issue in leadership, that what you are in private does affect what you do in public. And let me tell you, you can say whatever you want to say, you can spin it however you want to spin it, but our enemies nor our friends respect us when there's not credibility at the top. That's true in a president, that's true with a pastor, that's true with the owner of a business. That's true with a dad, that's true with a mom. You and I are, have to have people and be people of character. Character does count. What you are in private does affect how you lead in public. And if we need to learn that lesson, we need to learn it today desperately. That we are to be people of character. God builds character in people who have a burden and who have a passion. And it begins to burn with them over time. Now, as you move from chapter 1 to chapter 2, you notice in chapter 1, he's in one month. In chapter 2, he's in another month. It's not a car. It's a month. It's Nissan, but it's, it's not a car that you drive. But it's four months between the beginning of chapter 1 and the beginning of chapter 2. Here's a man who has prayed and wept and fasted for four months, and he's beginning to pray this thing through, and he's beginning to see it, and here's what you need to understand about passion. Passion is not an emotion. It is not something that you work up. Passion is something that God works in you. It is something that God does inside of you. Passion is not emotional, it is conviction. It is what drives you, what motivates you. And here's a man who's been praying, and quite honestly, he's been praying a lot longer than most of us would pray. <laughs> Four months. Now, I've got to be honest with you. It's been hard for me to pray and wait on God. I really want the Lord to do things now. If you'd asked me in 1990, would we ever be in a building program in this church? I said, oh yeah, by 91, we'll be in the building program. And God just keeps saying, no, it's not time yet. It's not time yet. You're going to have to wait. And I keep telling God, God, you don't understand. You know, we have services like this. We have to ask people to move in. The building's over 80% full. Lord, don't you know the statistics? 80% full is full. People are not going to squeeze. That's just the culture we live in. They've got to have parking spaces. Lord, you've got to understand some things. The Lord says, I'm not ready yet. You just wait on me. And the Lord keeps telling you, you've got to wait. You've got to wait. You've got to do this. I've got to tell you something. I've been waiting a long time for God to answer some prayers. Now, I could have bullheadedly rushed ahead and tried to force something. But that wouldn't be God. That'd be me. I have to do what God wants in God's time and God's way. You see, you can do God's will your way and get in trouble. Moses tried to do that. He tried to deliver Israel. He thought he'd kill them one at a time. That's going to take him a while. Or he had to wait 40 years to get God's will God's way. 
And you and I need to understand when we begin to pray, God begins to put a passion inside of us and he begins to put a burden inside of us and we need to understand that delayed answers don't indicate that God's unwilling to do what we're asking. In fact, let me give you two verses. And we won't take time to turn to them, but Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 12. It is through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. I just wish it was just through faith. I can believe God, I just can't wait on him. It's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises. Proverbs chapter, I mean Isaiah chapter 28 and verse 16. He that believes shall not make haste. He that believes, in other words, if you believe God, don't try to rush ahead of him. Don't try to get ahead of what God's trying to do. Let God work at his pace. He's always on time, even if he seems slow. I love the statement there by Warren Wiersbe. We must know not only how to weep and pray, but also how to wait and pray. And folks, waiting time is never wasted time. I've not wasted one minute waiting on God. This church has not wasted one minute waiting on God. When we wait on God and when it's God's time, it's the right time. Now, do you have a burden enough that you're willing to pray and to wait on God and then ask God, secondly, for a blessing? Nehemiah coveted a blessing. Now notice, if you would, verse 2. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now there's a law of leadership. If you're going to lead, you've got to get involved. Nobody leads as a Monday morning quarterback. Now, all day today, everybody's going to be trying to tell two football teams how to win. And all night tonight, everybody's going to be trying to analyze why one of them didn't win. And they're going to say, well, if he had done this, or if he had thrown this pass, or if he had not made this mistake, you know, it's easy to sit in an announcer's booth with a microphone in front of your face and tell somebody how to do something you're not doing. It's easy to comment on what you think somebody else ought to do when you may or may not have ever done that yourself. It's easy to be a critic of somebody who's at least trying when we don't want to get on the field. If you want to lead, you have to get involved. You have to put on the pads, you have to dress out, and you have to get on the field, and you have to get dirty. I mean, you just don't win sitting in the stands. There's a law of leadership that we have to be involved. Now notice, here's Nehemiah. He's just been praying, and one day he can't hold it anymore. And he gets sad. Now to be sad in the king's presence in that culture was a capital offense. He would not only lose his job, he'd lose his head. Now, there's a reason then that he says in verse 2, then I was very much afraid. You being sad hasn't cost you probably your job. See, Nehemiah's been trying to hide this. He's been burdened. He's been weeping. His eyes have been puffy. He's been fasting, probably lost a little weight. You know, but he's not trying to make a big deal out of this. You know, he's not like some of these people that you meet. And I know you, you go to church with some of them. You may work with some of them. You may live with one of them. They're like this. Hey, what's wrong? Nothing. 
Nothing. I'm fine. Nothing. I'm, I'm doing. I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. We got a bunch of Eeyores out there. Thanks for noticing me. <laughs> Thanks for noticing. You know, there's some people that want you to see them have a pity party. That's not Nehemiah. Nehemiah's not wearing his feelings on his sleeve. Nehemiah has just reached a point after four months where it's beginning to show the pressure that he feels and the burden that he feels, and the king asks him what's wrong. Now, here's something you need to notice about this moment. The moment of danger of losing his life is also his moment of opportunity. His moment of danger is also his moment of opportunity. God has opened a door. Suddenly, he's in the middle of an answered prayer. Look at verse 3. And I said to the king, let the king live forever. <laughs> Good thing to say when you think you may not be about to live very much longer. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed with fire? Now, Hold your place in Nehemiah and turn to Proverbs 21. Proverbs 21. I want you to see something about how God works in answering prayer and how God works when we have a passion and how he works when we have a burden because there's a key principle here of life. Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon says in Proverbs 21 and verse 1, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now, that little phrase, he turns it wherever he wishes, literally means he causes it to be bent in his direction. God turns the channel. God redirects the river of the king's heart. You see, this king is a pagan king. And God has spoken, as it says in Psalms chapter 2, God can speak and use pagans. They may think it's their initiative. God's just turned their heart. God's orchestrated the events. God orchestrated the events for the kings to let the people go back to Israel. God orchestrated the events in 1948 for Israel to become a nation again. The you know, United Nations takes credit for it. God did it. God turned the hearts of people. God directs the bent of people. God controls it. Now, here's the truth of this. The initiative is not in our hands. It's in God's hands. And the king is just a tool in the hands of God. He's being used by God even though he doesn't notice. And, and notice what happens. Nehemiah doesn't have to say, uh, King, I've got an issue I'd like to bring up with you. The king brings it up. Nehemiah doesn't have to speak to the king. The king speaks to Nehemiah. And in verse 4, the king said to me, What is your request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah faxed a prayer to heaven. He, he emailed it. I mean, he got it there quick. We don't know what he prayed at this point, but it was a prayer that he had prayed after four months of praying and after four months of weeping and after four months of having a burden. Then he faxed a prayer to God, and then he began to respond. Now, there's a law of leadership here. Prayer must precede every spoken word. Where we get in trouble is when we speak from the hip, and we shoot from the hip, and we just answer and respond to situations in life 
without praying about them. Most of the things that you're asked to respond to, you don't have to respond to in that moment. But if you're in a prayed-up environment, and if your prayer life is what it's supposed to be, you can quickly say, now, Lord, you know I need your wisdom on this, and then you can speak, and that's what Nehemiah did. Out of a prayer environment, he begins to make his request, and that prayer brought, brought boldness. I want you to see what he asked for. And I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. <clears throat> then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, <laughs> sounds like today, uh, how long will your journey be? Some of you will get that a little later. <laughs> and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time, and I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make the beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on him. I want you to see three specific requests that Nehemiah asked for here and three specific things that he got. Real important. Because this is how you know if God's got a call on your life. This is how you know if God has moved you from a need to a burden to a call for you to be a part of something. The first thing is, he did is he asked and he wanted to know if he was sent. Verse 5, he needed letters to the governors beyond the river. You see, Nehemiah couldn't leave this position without the king's approval. He couldn't leave this job and take another job without the king authorizing it. There's another thing that we know because in Ezra chapter 4, the local officials had stopped the work on the wall. And Nehemiah, knowing that, knew that he didn't want that to happen again, so he covered all his bases. Let me tell you what this tells me about prayer and about a burden and about a passion. Prayer does not eliminate preparation. Just because you've prayed something through doesn't mean you don't organize. Organizing and agonizing go together. You don't do one without the other. If you organize and you don't agonize, you've got the flesh. If you agonize and you don't organize, you're not ready for God to answer your prayer. You have to organize and agonize. And Nehemiah wanted to know that he had been sent. Now here's what he got. He got the king's power. Now why is that important? Because whatever God sends you to do, you go in the king's power. You don't go in your own strength. You don't go in your own name. You go on the authority and the power of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. If you have been sent, God's power is behind you. Secondly, he wanted to know he would have secure travel. Now, he needed these letters to guarantee safe travel between Susa and Jerusalem, and he was given a military escort. Now, here's what he had. He had the king's protection. I, I love this part of this message because this is what I, this is what I see here. 
I see Nehemiah as a man confidently walking toward his goal and toward his mission, and I can see him saying in the back of his head, you mess with me, you mess with the king. You see, the military escort, he didn't have the whole army. He just had the military escort there with him. As a reminder, you touch this man, and the king of Persia is going to be on your door tomorrow because this man has the power and the blessings of my throne on his life. Guess what? If God sends you, God will secure your travel, and wherever he leads you to go, God's protection is on your life. You do not walk in fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. I don't need the protection of the world's armies. I have the resources of the armies of heaven, and all i got to have is one angel. He'll take care of anything that's in my way. God's Holy Spirit empowers me to do whatever God calls me to do. You've got God's power. You've got God's protection. But he prayed for one other thing. He wanted to know that he would be supplied. You see, only the king had the authority to grant these requests. He needed material supplies and spiritual supplies. Now, the book of Ephesians tells us, but unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. He had the king's power. He had the king's protection. He had the king's provisions. You have everything according to the riches of Christ Jesus. I want to tell you something, folks. You and I will never bankrupt heaven. There's never going to come a time when God's going to say, you've asked me for more than I can give you. God's resources are eternal and plentiful. And if we live according to the Word of God, and if we walk in faith, and if we walk with a burden before God, then God will give us the power, and God will give us the protection, and God will give us the provisions. I have all I need today to do everything God has called me to do. I don't have anything for you, but I have it for me. You have to get it for yourself. But all the provisions that are in Christ, everything that is his is ours. That's what we're going to talk about tonight in Ephesians while somebody's playing football. We're going to talk about that. What you have, the resources that are yours in Christ. Now let me ask you something. When's the last time that you boldly approached the throne of grace knowing that you had God's power in you? God's protection around you and God's provision wherever you needed it. You see, that'll change your prayer life. It'll change your life. But it'll change your prayer life if you go knowing that you don't go in your own strength, you don't go in your own power, you don't go with what you can provide, you go with what God gives you. And God provides what you need for the moment. He provides grace for the need. He provides power for the need. Whatever the need, God fills it in. Now that's good news. Because if you've got a burden, you'll die if you don't have that, never seeing it fulfilled. Number three, I wish it could just be a blessing and a burden, but there's a battle. Verse 10 just happens to be in this passage. 
And when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them. Notice that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. <laughs> Nehemiah didn't have a personal agenda. He didn't have an ax to grind. He became a marked man. Why? Just because he cared about the sons of Israel. He just cared what happened to people. He cared about people's lives. He cared about people's protection. He cared about people's security. He cared about how people felt and their, their feelings and their emotions. And Nehemiah cared about these people, and two guys raised up and said, we're, we're displeased by that. Folks, you need to understand something. Anytime God says, arise and build, there will always be somebody who says, let's arise and and stop it. Satan doesn't fight churches anymore. He joins them. He joins churches. He gets people to say, oh, we can't do that. You see, here's why. We have bought the lie that the ultimate question of life is, how much is it going to cost me? The question is, does God want me to do this? The question is never, what is it going to cost me? What do I have to do? The question is, does God want me to do this? If God wants me to do this, then God's going to provide everything I need to get it done. If God calls you to do something in your family, in your business, in your church, then God is going to equip you with everything you need to get it done. But guess what? Walking in faith and walking in the Spirit and walking in God's power and walking in God's protection and walking in God's provisions does not mean that somebody won't try to stop you. And if you believe that, you've bought a lie. Now let me ask you, are you going fast enough with the Lord that the devil's trying to throw opposition in your way? These two were displeased that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. I, I've been in churches where people, I mean, churches are just, we don't want to grow anymore. We, we, don't, we don't want to reach anybody else. Well, if we reach anybody else, new people will get positions and they'll have power and we won't have any. And I want to still be in charge. Guess what? You never were in charge. The only reason you're breathing is because God hadn't taken his hand off of you. You never were in charge. Well, I, I don't want us to grow. I don't want us to do this. I don't want us to do that. I, I'm sure somebody today read the bulletin. I don't know who it'd be, but I'm sure somebody read the bulletin today and went, hmm, we're starting a Hispanic worship service this afternoon? I don't think we voted on that. Yes, we did. When we started this church and we said we were going to fulfill the Great Commission, we voted to do anything we've got to do to reach people. And if it means a Hispanic worship service, if it means a Chinese worship service, if it means any kind of worship service we've got to do to reach more people for the gospel of Jesus Christ, unless we want to take church off the sign and call ourselves a social club, we better do whatever it takes to reach people. And that means we don't have to vote and discuss all those kind of things. We just have to do it. And when God opens a door, we walk through it. 
Why? Because God's power and God's provision and God's protection. And somebody say, well, I, you know, I just don't know. I, I don't know. Well, then go be a part of one of those churches that's trying to wait for the last one to die so they can give the deed of the building over to the association. Because they're going nowhere fast. I'd rather go somewhere fast than nowhere fast. I'd rather, I'd rather the Lord say, you know what, y'all just tried to do too much. <laughs> and the Lord say, I wish y'all just tried to do something. I wish I could have just woken you up. You know, some churches start at 12, 11 o'clock sharp and end at 12 o'clock dull. I, I just want something to happen because I have a burden, I have a concern that we touch this community, that we take every resource that we have in Christ and everything that God has given us and we use it to touch the maximum people with the gospel of Jesus. Now, I, I love the statement, and I don't even know where I found this, but the one that's in your notes... <clears throat> A godly leader is one who is completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. Completely fearless, continually cheerful, and constantly in trouble. I... I I'm going to be real honest with you. If there's not something stirring, sometimes I'll start it. Because you see, if something's not stirring, then I'm not making the devil mad. And if I'm not making the devil mad, I'm not doing anything. You see, I want the enemy to get up worried about us every day as long as God leads us here. And he said, well, that just brings opposition. You bet it does. Also brings walls. It also brings revival. Nehemiah is one of the greatest books on revival that's ever been written. It's a great book on leadership, but it's a great book on prayer, and it's a great book on revival. Let me tell you something. Out of the opposition, Nehemiah led those people to a great revival in the midst of God's work. They not only built walls, they built the spirit of the whole city. Wouldn't you like to be a part of something that would do something that would build the spirit of this city? That would touch the core and the heart of this community, that would say to this community, God is doing something. We don't know what it is. We can't explain it, but it's apparent that the power and the provisions and the protection of God are on that place. I want to be about doing business for God. And if there are some battles along the way, then so be it. But I'm going to tell you, we'll build the wall with Sam Ballot and Tobiah or without them. We will build the wall. It's easier to turn tail and run. It's easier to be status quo. It's easier to walk the fine line of making everybody happy but there's no joy in it. Because when you lay down and breathe your last breath, you never made a difference for eternity. And I don't want everybody to walk by my casket and speak well of me. I do want people to walk by my casket and say, he meant business for God. 
And if you don't like everything, that's fine. I just want you to know I mean business for God, and I don't care who that offends. It doesn't bother me that that makes some people uncomfortable. In a book, Conquering an Enemy Called Average, John Mason wrote these words, Every accomplishment, great or small, starts with a decision. Choice, not chance, determines destiny. Too many people are like wheelbarrows, trailers, or canoes. They need to be pushed, pulled, or paddled. You're either moving other people to decisions or they are moving you. The choice is yours. There's a difference between interest and commitment. When you are interested in doing something, you only do it when it is convenient. When you are committed to doing something, you accept no excuses, only results. Would you stand with me with heads bowed and eyes closed, please? What are you passionate about today? Are you passionate about God? Are you passionate about the things of God? Are you passionate, burdened, sensing a call about what God's called you to do as a leader, as a deacon, as a mom or a dad, as a Sunday school teacher? I tell you, I think you ought to be passionate no matter what you do. Whether the job is considered big or small, there ought to be a passion, a passion to do what God's laid on your heart. And you can't let opposition or people's comments sidetrack you from doing the very thing that God's laid on your heart. I'm asking you to join me that people know us as a passionate people. Passionate for the things that matter. Passionate for prayer. Passionate for evangelism. Passionate for discipleship. Passionate for caring for people when they're hurting. Passionate for ministry to people that we don't even know yet. Passionate to do whatever it takes to get the job done to the glory of God. And then passionate to make sure that we don't take credit for one thing God does here. Thanks for listening to today's podcast from Sherwood Baptist Church and Pastor Michael Gatt. For more information about Sherwood, you can visit our website at sherwoodbaptist.net. If you live or visit in the Albany area, we invite you to worship with us here at Sherwood. Thanks again for listening, and have a great day.